Hey everyone, welcome to Darkcast Interviews. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. DCI is a long-form interview podcast where we talk to game creators about who they are and their work behind the scenes, as well as obviously their recent or upcoming video games. In this episode, I talk with Sarah and Steven Danton, who formed Two Ton Studios, to talk about their upcoming game, Unto the End. Unto the End is a 2D platformer with an emphasis on methodical reactionary combat and is inspired by the likes of Limbo, Another World, and obviously, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. You can find more information about the game in the show notes for this episode on darkstation.com. There you can also find the original Darkcast, as well as other video game reviews, previews, and features. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at darkstation underscore com, find us on Facebook, check us out on YouTube, and email us at podcast at darkstation.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Now on with the show. And welcome back to Darkcast Interviews. I'm Jonathan Miley. Joining me for this episode are Sarah and Stephen Danton. Thank you guys so much for sitting down with me and chatting about your upcoming game, Unto the End. How are you guys doing? Great, Jonathan. Good. Thanks so much for having us. Absolutely. We're pumped. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you're pumped. It's always, it's, <laughs> it's always not, it's not a good sign when the people that are making the game aren't pumped about uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've actually run across that yet, but you know, I'll, I'm ready for, for whatever it does. But right. uh, that's, um, so, uh, so yeah, so you guys, I, I think, huh, I think you're the first time that I've interviewed like a duo, like a, a couple making a game. There have been times where I've, I've talked to like one person from, you know, a duo that, you know, they've mentioned that their significant other is, is working with them or something like that. Um, and, uh, but, uh, but I get to have both of you on here. So that's, that's cool. That's, we are honored to be the, the first. That's... <laughs> um, so, but it's still, it's it's a really rare thing. I think I've only talked to like two or three people. Um, and a lot of times it's not even necessarily, it's like the two of them making a game. It's just like the two of them work at the studio that are making the game or something right. like that. Um, so, so obviously we're here to talk about, about y'all's game. But before we get into that, I, I'd really like to talk about who you are. Um, so if you guys could just kind of talk about, uh, you know, what your role is currently on Unto the End, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Sure. So, uh, well, there's only two of us. So yeah. <laughs> uh, of all the, the many, many things you have to do on a game, uh, we, we do a lot of them between us. We, uh, at the end of the day, um, we're both artists, so uh, we both work on the art. Uh, we kind of approach it from slightly different perspectives, but we both do a lot of artwork at the conceptual and production level. Uh, we both care a lot about the design of games. I'd say that's probably the first. Yeah, and so we both we both talk a lot about and care a lot about you know how how all the different systems and 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 pieces of the game fit together. Um, I do the programming, and then the um, animation production animation. Mm. But again, that's very collaborative in terms of like you know what goes in, what doesn't go in, how does it feel after it's being after it's 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 done, whether an animation looks good or not. Um, at yeah. this point, it's all melded together. Yes. 
<laughs> exactly. We're like one symbiotic <laughs> unit that, with two heads that wanders around our, our, our house, bumping into walls and, and trying to make a game. Uh, that sounds very difficult for actually, man, you know, getting around your home. But it sounds like it might actually yes. be useful for making a game. So that's that's yeah. good. Pros and cons, definitely pros and cons. <laughs> Um, so, so what, what is your background, uh, in, in video games, uh, or pre-video games? Like what, what did you guys do before you were working on, uh, until the end? Yeah, we, I mean, this is really our first big game before we did this, we did a, a few mobile games kind of as side projects. Um, I've worked as an interior designer. I've done so many different things within kind of design world. Um, and also even nonprofits back um, when we first lived in Seattle many years ago. Right. Um, but Stephen comes more from a software engineer background. Yeah, like I have a computer science degree. I was uh, I took the very first game design class ever at my university. <laughs> um, that so there was no like full sale or anything like you know the gaming colleges when I when I was kind of coming up and learning. Um, and then I worked at Microsoft for twelve years as a designer. Okay. Um, and that's kind of where I started doing games, uh, the mobile game Sarah was talking about, where Microsoft allowed or encouraged uh, the, their employees to make content for Windows Phone 7 at the time. And so uh, I started doing that, made a couple games. I actually got one game, Ninja Boy, up to uh, number two <laughs> across all apps, games or otherwise, uh, 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 on that phone. And so uh, that kind of gave us the confidence to kind of start you know, doing games more seriously. But yeah, that's where we come, our background is kind of both as designers and artists. Nice. Uh, I uh, actually had a, I didn't have a Windows Phone 7, but I had a Windows Phone 8 uh, <laughs> for quite some time. And I loved I the loved UI. I Windows Phone. I actually it think was, that it was, it was great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the reason that I, I finally jumped shipped, uh, like right before basically they, they stopped making them, was... Um, I, I've I've used Waze since forever, uh, since having like a smartphone that had yep. you know GPS yep. or whatever, and because uh, I was also very late. The Windows Phone eight, which was a, a Nokia like nine sixty or something. I don't know if that's a real number for a phone. Yep. I'm not gonna look it up. I think it we have the good. same phone. Yeah, uh, but uh, I had that. I loved it, and. I hadn't really thought about it, but I had been using the phone vertically the whole time because the it didn't have the uh, kind of gyroscope accelerometer thing where when you turn it sideways, right. it goes, um, you know, uh, what's the what's the landscape? Yeah, landscape. Yeah. There we go. Wow, it's <laughs> two o'clock. I should I I have plenty of sleep and I haven't started drinking yet. Don't know what's nice. going on, but. Uh, <laughs> So I saw somebody else with an iPhone do it, and I saw it, you know, go to landscape, and I was like, "Oh, I never really thought about that." And I did that with the Windows Phone, and it didn't do it. And I was like, "Wow, Waze doesn't care enough to." I I, I assume it would take like ten minutes to yep. let this app go sideways, uh, and I'm like, "They don't care enough to even do that with this." And it's like the number one GPS navigation software on the the store. So, yep. um. If if like they don't care, then then maybe I should maybe I should drop out of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was kind of the same point for me when apps started, like they just didn't get updated anymore, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And you could you're like okay, like yeah. no no one no one is into this thing anymore. They gave it a try. Uh, it's time to it's time to switch. But the the whole live tiles and like the the multiple sizes of stuff, 
Um, I had a blast arranging my phone home screen. Yeah, there, uh, yeah. something I've never had fun doing ever since. So. Right. Yeah, it was great. I had a lot of good friends work on that, and uh, a lot of love and, and heart went into that. I think it was just kind of uh, mistimed, and the ecosystems of Apple and Google had kind of gotten too much of a head start for, right. for them to catch up. So it, yeah. it happened, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. So, so as pretty much everything you worked on game-wise, was that mobile space or did you work uh, with any other Microsoft titles? Uh, in the early days, uh, no, it was all mobile. Mobile space we did, uh, my brother and I worked on um, a PC. <laughs> uh, I'm laughing because it was built in a technology called Silverlight, yeah. which was a, a web-based <laughs> version of another Microsoft technology called WPF, uh, which I guess at some level those technologies are still around. Every once in a while when I play the Amazon player, it tells me to enable Silverlight. Yep. Um, <laughs> and so we actually built it in Silverlight so it could run on PC and in web. Um, and we kind of finished that game in a way and then just kind of gave up on it after a while because, uh, well, for all sorts of random technical reasons. But um, yeah, so we built the biggest piece of Silverlight software uh, that Microsoft knew about at the time. Um, which was kind of cool and also sad because they, they didn't know how to get it to run fast and stuff like that. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, uh, I used to do IT. So installing Silverlight on Internet Explorer for government websites to run properly is something I'm very familiar with doing. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know what all, you know, like, you know, city, county, uh, state governments are going to do when, you know, Internet Explorer officially goes away, like, next year. Uh, right. It's, it's, half the country is literally just going to screech to a halt. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> um, so, I, I guess, next question uh, for you guys. You said that, uh, you mentioned something about Seattle. Is that where you guys are located? No, now we're in Berkeley, California. Okay. Yeah, we're... Uh... But we did live for many years in Seattle. When we started... Um, this project many years ago, five years ago, really yeah. where we were starting. Like left our jobs and stuff like yeah. that, yeah. Um, we lived for a year in South America. Um, we traveled through Europe for a bit. Right. And then when we came back to the U.S., we um, landed here in California. Right. We're originally Canadian. We grew up in, on, uh, in, Ontario. in Ontario, so the eastern uh, side of um, Canada. And then after university, uh, came out to Seattle. Um and traveling through Europe sounds really fancy. Like we, we, we did it on a yacht and like occasionally would like no. come to shore. It, it drink, was, drink we like stayed with friends and like all day. lived in like hostels yeah. and stuff the like that. studio so, Airbnb. Yeah, yeah exactly. Airbnb was just yeah. 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 Um, so, so what took you guys to, um, to South America and through Europe? Was that just traveling, experiencing the world yeah. or? Yes. Okay. Um, cool. uh, yeah, absolutely. Before, you know, when we had our... I mean, so, let me let me add some color yeah, to that. Yeah. that. Like if Sarah grew up, you know, five, six hundred years ago, like she would have been like a cartographer that traveled on like a merchant kind of sailing ship, you know, charting like, un, uh, you know, unknown regions of the world. Like Sarah's very much a natural explorer and, and traveler. And so uh, one of the things we've tried to do is take our travels and our journeys and use them as inspiration for uh, definitely under the end. Um, and, and hopefully any future games uh, that we're lucky enough to make. So, yeah, and we had traveled a lot just, you know, on vacations right. before we quit our jobs. And that really was the, the time we thought, OK, well, now we can do this longer term. Let's go someplace we want to go. We chose Chile. Right. Um, and 
and Argentina. Yes. But um, we thought that might be fun to live there for a year and then explore all around. Absolutely. Go to Patagonia, go up to Peru. Yeah. And it was fantastic. Yeah, so, well, it is, uh, you know, uh, a great place. And when we do travel, we like to kind of get off the, you know, we're not huge fans of like tourist groups or, you know, really kind of like following uh, kind of what the touristy guide might tell you to do. Uh, and instead, uh, you know, go places and explore places that um, you're alone and, and you are kind of left up to your own uh, wits a little bit more. And it's then getting harder and harder to do. It is, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, but... And then you kind of get to make these fun decisions and, uh, you know, kind of get to feel what it what it's like to be kind of uh, left up to your own devices. Yeah, so. We like getting lost. Yeah. That's maybe a yeah. good way to say it. <laughs> we try to pack that into our games too. We think there is a, a it should, there should be a, a degree of, of discovery and kind of a journey that the player goes on um, with the game and, and the game experience. Yeah, for sure. Sure, absolutely. So you said that you guys were in uh, Chile for about a year. What, what did you guys do, um, I guess, as in terms of work uh, while you were there? This game. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, for, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think all that work we threw away. We were yeah. really yeah. Um, we working sp- on early prototypes of the combat system. Yeah, so the combat system stayed. Right. But a lot of the like the kind of level design and some of the different ide- ideations in terms of how the game was going to be paced and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ended up mothballing a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, we actually had a, another developer like our, our goal was that Sarah and I would work on art and then we'd have a developer to you know work on the technical side of it. Uh, and that didn't work out. So we ended up uh, having to part ways with, with them. And then I took on the programming task, uh, but that meant rewriting like 98% of the game <laughs> engine gotcha. uh, about three years ago now. So that was a big, big decision point. Right. We're like, man, should we just give up on this thing or what? Um, but we, we toughed it out. So. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. well. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks. Um, so I, I guess uh, next would be, you know, what, uh, what is it like working together? Like you, you leave work. And then your coworker is just like still there, yeah. <laughs> staring at you. Just yeah. I mean, at first, we I think I think it's made it easier because we went into it really casual. Right. We weren't at the beginning like this is for sure gonna work out. Here's our business. Right. We were like, guys, you know, to our family and friends, <clears throat> we're just gonna see how this works. Yeah. Um, and it's like we just took it month by month. Exactly. Year by year. Yeah. And. I think in the end, we really just have very complementary skills and we do work well together. Yeah. We are still married. So that's what <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I'd like to add to that. I think, I think the challenge is always, um, well, with any working relationship is, is, is communication, um, you know, kind of being able to uh, have a similar vision, not always the same vision, but a similar vision. Uh, building up that confidence and trust with each other um, to be be honest with each other. Um, and I think that um, I think any anyone who's worked with anyone, you know, uh, has had to do that in order to be successful. Uh, I, I think it's been great that Sarah and I have been able to do that. And now we've really gotten, gotten to a point. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. We've gotten to a point where we really have like a shorthand with each other. We can you can be you know, I can be really direct with Sarah. She can be really direct with me. We can give notes on each other's stuff. We can we inspire each other. Uh, we have complementary uh, skill sets, as Sarah said. so it's it's really been awesome, actually, like just to to be able to tackle this together um, and really feel like it's like our thing, you know, mm-hmm. like our our as a as a partnership 
kind of uh, outside of the game, but also as a partnership uh, with the game. And I was just going to say, going into it, we really were also okay with it not working out. Absolutely. We really didn't, we knew like, if this doesn't feel right, and this is just too annoying yeah. to work together, which is a very <laughs> realistic outcome. I right. would tell all of our married friends, like, we should just it, work yeah. with each yeah. other right. all the time. That's going to be great. <laughs> um, that we were willing just to be honest and yep. then say, you know, if it's not working, we'll stop. Right. But we haven't started. <laughs> <laughs> As evidenced by our conversation right now. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Um, so how does how does that work in terms of like work life balance? I know something that a lot of people are experiencing in twenty twenty when you're working from home, like the distinction between the job and, and home becomes very blurred. And if you've got a significant other that's you know, they are normally working or they're normally stay at home. Yeah, theoretically, they can kind of pull you, I guess, into home mode per se. Right. Uh, but when when you're both doing it, how how has that how's been striking that balance worked? Yeah, it, I don't I don't know if there's like a, a great answer. Like I, I don't think we have a good. We're, we're definitely not going to be like writing a self help book <laughs> yeah. anytime soon. On this. It's like but, we, work, <laughs> we work all day but, until we're tired. Yeah, and then and you. Both I was so gonna say of, you could just say it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah just exactly. enjoy it. Is, and like that's yeah, that's work, okay. That's yeah, you work <laughs> until you have to go to sleep, and then while dreaming, you imagine <laughs> no. Um, I think the big thing for us is we're we're fortunate actually being in in Berkeley that we have a nice weather often. And so uh, that allows us to get outside and away from, you know, our laptops and our, our desks. And so we really try to value that time. And when we do go away, you know, even if it's for a day, we make sure we leave the game and our work, you know, at home. Right. And I'd say on a daily basis, that can be difficult. Like the week might just blow by oh, yeah. and, you know, evenings really are just for like sleeping. Yeah. Right. But yeah, we try really hard to on a weekend even during this pandemic, like, you know, put our masks on, meet a friend, go right. hiking, exactly. get outside, yeah. really. Not even, just like, go for a walk. We, we've also watched, like, uh, British Bake Off uh, the entire <laughs> nine seasons, like, uh, four oh. times now. So. Of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. It's just, like, when you're not doing it to really enjoy those moments. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, to any of your listeners or anyone who's thinking about getting into games, like, Making a game is insanely uh, demanding. Uh, like I thought I worked hard in university. I thought I worked hard at Microsoft. That's like a vacation compared to making an indie game. Uh, so just you know, a fair warning that you work-life balance. Uh, definitely in this last year. Yeah, is 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 definitely uh, hard to strike. But just enjoy it when you can be away from it. Uh, really soak it in and and uh, yeah, get away. Don't let from it consume you. Yeah. So, so you mentioned the the pandemic, and I imagine for you guys, especially uh, given your uh, natural inc inclination to to travel and wander and explore, uh, how has how's it been uh, this past year in terms of everything yeah. that is twenty twenty? You know, in a way, because we knew we were going to be so busy working this year, we didn't have a lot of things planned, mm -hmm. and so and even how it's it's been even busier than we thought it would be. So in a way, even without the pandemic, we probably would have been spending most of our time inside working. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely been harder in that our families, every, everyone's either in Vancouver or Toronto, and it is hard knowing that, you know, if we want to go visit them, it's an ordeal. Yeah. We haven't seen them this year. No. I mean, except for online, obviously. You know, but on the other side, I think we, we both feel extremely lucky 
that we are able to do a job uh, from a desk. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of our friends have lost jobs. Uh, a lot of our friends, are, we have friends that are nurses and, and, and work in the medical field. Uh, you know, they're, they have to face this, you know, on, on a day-to-day basis. Um, and so yeah, we're we feel really, like, we're just really extremely grateful uh, that we have jobs where we can uh, work on stuff. Um, and so I think yeah. it's just that mindset makes it so that we're not, we will travel again. Yeah, sure. Hopefully ne- the end of next year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I, I definitely feel lucky that we live in a nice part of, of California. Yeah. Where even just going out to the coast, walking on the beach right. is great. Yeah, it can really recharge you. Yeah, so. And that's all we do. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, that, that brings us up from, you know, uh, ancient history to the present. So <laughs> yes. it's time to, time to jump into the game. Uh, you mentioned that you've been working on this for what, five ish years now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, total, like when we left right. our oh, jobs sure, sure. and we kind of said, Hey, we're going to make a video game and we're like, and okay, we... how does that going to actually work? <laughs> and so we, you know, kind of started with all these big ideas and, uh, we definitely, you know, wasted a lot of post-it notes and, and kind of concept marker ink on different ideas. Um, and then we kind of came around to under the end, I would say like three and a half, four years ago. So we've been working on it for about four years Okay. okay. Um, in earnest. Well, actually, I guess one quick thing, um, Stephen, your transition makes plenty of sense. You worked at Microsoft, you've worked on mobile games. Uh, but Sarah, you, you did interior yeah. design before. Like, what was the impetus to be like, I'm going to make a video game with my husband? <laughs> well, I'd always done art. I'd always painted. Okay. I've always done, you know, something with my hands. Um, and so it was really more of an experiment for me to say, okay, I wonder how I'm going to like doing this all digitally. Let's, we had done some prototypes. We'd, you know, done a couple little things. And that's why for me, it really was kind of like a leap of faith of let's see what happens. Um, and what kind of art we can do. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, well, what has happened? What is, I guess, yeah, first off, elevator pitch. Uh, what is Unto the End? Unto the End is a combat adventure game in the style of a cinematic platformer. Uh, so what the heck does that mean? Yeah. Uh, that, that, that means that uh, it, is, it is first and foremost a game that feels, at least our hope is, that it feels like an adventure um, in that, you are overcoming challenges and obstacles and it's skillful uh, and there are intelligent creatures that you have to interact with, sometimes fight. Uh, and then the cinematic platformer part comes in that it's deliberate. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's paced uh, in, a, in a way similar to Inside or Limbo. The story is told to you through your actions and the environment. Uh, and in fact, for us, the story is extremely simple. It is get home to your family and we think of, of Under the End more as a uh, tool uh, for the player to use to craft their own unique adventure based on the decisions they make throughout the journey. So you referenced in the, you know, uh, we were talking before we started chatting on the podcast about the demo. You know, the, the last encounter in the demo is one that you can overcome in, in three different ways. You can fight, you can walk right by, or you can, you can decide to help uh, that creature. Uh, and that interaction, if you help them, has a carry-on effect. Hmm. And there's a number of those types of encounters throughout the game uh, that allow the player to shape who they want the father to be. Is he attacking or killing? Or is he you know, more helpful? 
but also, you know, how they want to get home. Uh, and our hope is that that is a little bit different for you than your friend. And, you know, if you chat about the game later, you might say, well, I got by this guy this way. And I used or, you know, right. your friend might say, I used this item or whatever. Well, I ran away. Yeah, I ran yeah. away. And to us, that's what's really cool about games that, you know, you can do that. So that's what we tried to do. That's very cool. I will say, so I um, I picked this game up to, to do a preview on it. And I was we have just a, with Dark Station, we have a, a spreadsheet of games with what platform it's on, whether it's a review or a preview and uh, like when it was added so that we kind of know when we need to try to be timely with things, which, you know, we're obviously always great at being timely. (laughs) um, So I saw the name and I was like, Oh, I'm doing an interview with these guys. Like that would be great that this works out well. And I hadn't done any research to, to prepare for this yet. All I did was Google the, uh, the name of it, went to the steam page and I saw the very first screenshot um, and read the first, the top part of the Steam page blurb, which is under the end is a handcrafted cinematic platformer. And I was like, yes, did not look at anything else. Download the game, start playing it. And I was like, this is hard. This is- <laughs> yeah, we need to change that. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, so, uh, you mentioned it kind of inside in limbo, uh, the very first time that you gotta like jump down and just the 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 sound of like hitting the ground and the character kind of crunching down a little bit or I guess crouching down. It doesn't really humans don't crunch unless they're being <laughs> crushed. Um, it was like, oh, this is this is kind of like Limbo, and then just the the art style kind of actually kind of reminds me of Another World yeah. a little yep. bit. Very um, much. Inspiration for sure. Yeah, and and then and then you know the the combat is just brutal and the uh so what what is just out of curiosity what is your guys part time for the demo it's you know it's just a handful of counters maybe like five or six something like that uh what how long would you expect somebody to to take to get to the end of the demo yeah oh i, I mean no, most people get it done in about 30 30 minutes uh 30 to 40 minutes i hate those people uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think that I think the key thing about Under the End that's that's quite a bit different is that um, every fight is almost like a boss fight to use kind of gamery terms. Like there there is no like every character in the game actually is unique, has different attacks and a different uh, art style of a look to them and a reason for being there. Not a different art style, but a different a different look to them. Um, like there is not like a guy who throws spears and a guy who, you know, has an axe and then you fight two axe guys and then you fight two axe guys with a spear guy. And then you fight the boss like that. That is definitely not the model of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and 100 percent it is. Uh, there is a learning curve. Definitely. To the combat specifically. Um, in the full game, we ease you in a lot more. So we take we basically just took a slice of the game that does have a lot of fighting in it. And we made that the demo as a kind of the shock and awe approach of like, okay, this is what the combat's going to be like in this game. The combat's the thing that we put a lot of energy into and it's very distinct. Uh, you know, we wanted to get people, have, you know, wanted to have players to have a taste of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is somewhat representative of the whole game. It's it's almost like in Inside, if you gave people like two puzzles and then you said, okay, and that's the whole game. Like there's, a, there's kind of like ebbs and flows and different ways of approaching things throughout Under the End. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we couldn't we, we because it's a handcrafted cinematic platformer really you need to play the whole game to experience that journey uh and so it was actually hard to pick a demo but yeah, yeah uh you, there's a lot there's definitely stuff to learn it is all about 
reading and reacting high versus low. Yes. Uh, and the, you know, the training tries to teach some of that, but it is really something you have to play. And uh, we find that it's something you have to kind of unlearn how you've learned to play a side scroller. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. cause you know, in side scrollers, I love side scrollers, but you know, you're, you're kind of trained to like hit the X button really quickly or, mm-hmm. you know, like there's, there's gotta be a trick to get this guy. Like if I can just knock his shield out of his hand, then I'm going to be able to kill him or right. this guy, the, the death daggers yeah. and stuff. Yep. Yep. And, and, and that never, that is not how under the end is designed at all. Um, yeah. we'd really made it more, much more deliberate. Yes. I yeah. Can, I can, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just for reference, it took me like two hours to, to beat the demo. I, I did not do well. <laughs> well, that's okay. And actually, uh, we've seen that. We've seen, we've definitely seen, uh, you know, some players will spend an hour and a half on one encounter. Um, or an hour in the training. Yeah, sometimes they play an hour yeah. in the training. And, um, first Maybe off, I should have done that, but I, I did not. I was like, oh, training's done. Cool. Let's, yeah, that's yeah. obviously combat's not going to be a huge part of this because it looks <laughs> like another world or, you know, yeah. with, with Vikings. Uh, right. Let's run off and oh god, I was wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you for sticking with it. Uh, we we really do appreciate that. It is uh, one thing about the training is you can return there at any time in the game from any of the rest fires. You can go back to training. Uh, there's actually uh, little Easter eggs and like an achievement associated with training. Um, right, and even in the full game, we don't start you with the training like we correct. do in the demo. We yeah. did that just just know, for... just to kind of front load that experience, so you had some sense of what the heck the combat exactly. was about. But yeah. in the train, in the full game, you'll have to find the training. Yeah, and then again, you can go back again and again right. if you want. Right. Okay. Very cool. So, um, kind of going back to the, I guess the the creation of the game, uh, you were talking about parts that kind of carried over, stuff that you had to scrap, things that you redid. What? I guess the of the game that we have today, what was the first seed? Was it was it more of the story? Was it the environments? Was it the combat? Was it just the style, like overall kind of like two D platformer uh, thing that you wanted to make? What? How did? I guess, where did this it, come from? <laughs> it definitely was started with that with the two D platformer. Yep. The art style and the combat system. Yeah, definitely the Maybe combat. Combat was a system big, first, yeah. and then art style around it. Yeah, combat was a big thing. I mean, we we kind of looked at a bunch of different ideas, but when we started really digging into two D, um, specifically two D combat games, we kind of realized that you know, for more or less, they've been they've been kind of done in a way for like twenty five years or so, um, and we started seeing that you know. There's these three really unique aspects about 2D games that we could we could really leverage. So one is this high lowness, judging a high attack versus low because verticality is pretty easy to assess and you're looking at it you know from a side-on perspective. Then left and right, you know you can really right. easily judge like how far away are you from something. And then something that 2D does really well is lets you see behind you. Mm-hmm. You know where like I love Dark Souls, but one thing that drives me nuts about the Dark Souls games or Sekiro or whatever is like the camera gets you killed often almost as many times as a boss does and uh being able to see behind you being able to have group fights being able to use terrain things like that are things that uh, we thought 2d was good at so those three things form the foundation for what we wanted to kind of juice and make the most of in our combat and we just kind of iterated 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 keep adding things over and over things yeah Yeah. i mean the first year or so jonathan it was like just uh, you know, the father character and a couple of enemies on like a, a just an open white snow plane, just fighting each other and iterating on the combat. Hmm. Okay. So at, at what point did the, uh, the game story tar- start to, you know, come into play? 
You know, the story, it's weird. Like, story is a big part of games. This is like a, a personal kind of thing for me, so I, I hope I don't soapbox <laughs> don't started. No, too much on this. But like, No, that, that's what we're here for. If this is a yeah. four-hour conversation and most of yeah. it is about story, I'm I'm here. Story yeah. is a, a big thing for me in that, um, I mean, the boldest way to say this is that we, as game designers right now, use a lot of storytelling techniques from film and literature um, to tell stories. We use cutscenes, we use dialogue, we often put you know, actual books and uh, into games. Uh, and that's fine. That, that works for a lot of people. But I don't know if that's the highest form of game storytelling. And the reason I say that is that games are interactive and movies and literature, for the most part, are uh, consumptive. And I think there are opportunities for games to tell stories that only games can tell. And so I think that has to be an interactive story that doesn't necessarily have a set um, collection of beats that the player has a, a large degree of agency over, that the game doesn't predetermine, well, okay, this is a guy and he's helping his friend, so then you must give him the green herb to get past. Uh, we made a conscious choice to, as much as we could, as two people making a game, allow the player to, to choose who was good, who was bad. Are enemies there to stop you or are they evil? Uh, you know, how do I want to move forward? And so... And there's no wrong answer. Correct. It's not like you have to do that. 100%. If you want to go kill everything, That's absolutely fine. Do it. Yeah. If yeah. you want to try and avoid as many fights, you can try and do that too. And so for us, the story is very much um, just a context. Get home to your family. Mm. And then it's, I, I almost don't like using the word story. It's more about, we think of like experience. crafting an experience or crafting your adventure. Um, that is that is something you can retell to another person as a story of your experience. Uh, but, but we're not trying to tell uh, a very specific story. At in, least with Unto the End. Yeah, in, in maybe, uh, you know, the way that uh, you would try to uh, deliver in a book or a movie. Okay. So how, do, how does that mesh with, you were talking about, you'll be able to uh, do different actions, like at, at the end of the demo, there's a, a wounded, um, or at least appears to be a wounded creature who's gone through some sort of big battle, um, and you can either just walk by him, you can kill him, or you can offer him some herbs to, you know, hopefully he gets better or, or whatever. Um, and he said there's, you know, things like that throughout the game, and that kind of determines who the father is. Is that just, is that for me and, like, myself to determine who I feel like the father is? Or is there an in-game kind of representation of those choices? There's two aspects to it, actually. Like On one side, it is for you, the player. The, the game is very much about the player's experience. And so if, if, you know, if you're deciding to kill things, you know, and ostensibly the, the father is killing them for you, then that's your shaping you know, who you want to be uh, by way of the father. And then there are real game impacts. So, for example, in that uh, particular encounter, if you give uh, herbs to the, the creature there, it's called a woad. Uh, that's the, the race of those creatures. If you give, if you give the woad some, some herbs... He will give you a necklace. That necklace is then used on, later on uh, in the journey. If you kill him, you get a different item. If you walk by him, you don't get either item. And each of those decisions have an impact. There's other encounters where you can get an item or not get an item, and then those item, that item has uh, other effects. And so uh, in that way, it actually does impact uh, the game. And then there are different endings in the game based on the choices you make throughout the journey. Okay. Very nice. I will continue to be nice to people then. <laughs> uh, so, so one thing that I, I 
I noticed when I first started up the demo, uh, but I didn't really notice until I had quit out and then come back later, is that there, there's no, like, start screen. And this might just be for the demo, but, like, relaunching it and, you know, kind of the title screen just appearing and then just being back in the snow with the father, I thought was really nice. And I, 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 don't, I don't know, there's, there's something comforting about a start screen because they've been around for 30, 40 years at this point. Uh, but at the same time, like... Ever since arcade cabinets haven't been a thing, you know, for all intents and purposes, that's not right. the driving force of video games. Um, like, there's no reason to have a start screen, but everything still does. Uh, and then there's also really no HUD or anything. Um, can you just talk about kind of, I don't know, I guess uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but the, like, minimal UI approach that you guys are taking. Oh, you're, yeah, 100%. No, you're 100%. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you nailed it. So uh, we, we definitely do not have a start screen. Uh, very conscious choice. We wanted to load you in right where you left off and um, make every moment kind of your moment, your start screen, if you will. That's kind of a little bit maybe too too fluffy, <laughs> but that really was the intent. Um, and then that's, get you right. That's back definitely part of the elevator pitch. For <laughs> every <laughs> moment is your moment. Your moment. Uh, uh, and and then get you right in back into the gameplay. Right, like we. As 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 many uh, as as much as we can, we try to make it so that it is you being immersed in the game, and so that goes into the second phase of you know aspect of your question, which is yeah, no HUD, right? Uh, a little bit of that is we don't want to overly handhold, right? So we don't have a bunch of pop-ups saying like for the fiftieth time, press A to do this, or press X to do this, or press you know LB to interact with something. Um, but also we wanted it so that the player as much as possible, feels what the father's going through. So And is really observing. Exactly. Yeah. Like paying attention to the character that is in front of them, right? Rather than worrying about a health bar or like an overlay system that's trying to tell you like this guy's blocking high versus low and you have this much health and this much stamina. We wanted to put Which all started the, trip, but mm. we did start with the health bar. We yeah, we actually did. Yeah, we sure. We were like, I think we do we need this. Yes. So let's try it. Yeah. And we knew really we didn't want to have it. Um, and over time, we, it got smaller. Smaller and smaller, and then it became invisible. Got rid of it and started, <laughs> we had the idea of, like, let's just make him bloody. Right. So there's three levels of blood, and when you're super bloody, if you get hit the next time, you're going to die. Yeah, and then you have posture. The father's posture when they're injured. They will fall to a knee and be bleeding to death. They uh, There's different breathing that comes in. There's a different set of uh, uh, an audio, kind of acoustic experience that comes in more aggressively as you're, as you're injured. Um, but all of that was to immerse the player, right? It, like we wanted to make it dark and your torch is, is rather feeble uh, because we want you to take your time and be deliberate because that's the skill you're gonna need to overcome the, you know, the, your opponents. We wanted you to be cautious and look for ladders and look for, uh, you know, for holes and, and consider the foreground because those are the skills you're gonna need to get the right items, to read the cues of different characters, to overcome the, you know, the high and low right. actions. So, we tried really hard to get everything out of the player's way we could. We are fully aware it breaks a lot of convention. For sure. And that's a huge risk. Uh, but, you know, like little things, like I don't know if you had the chance of rolling off a ledge and then you drop your sword and your, and your torch. Or if you roll into a wall, you drop your sword and your torch. And, uh, you know, that's there to, to say like, hey, every action you take matters, right? right? And, and that's gonna be increasingly critical as you fight harder and harder things. Right. Really and, to teach you that you can't yeah. just jump around, jump yeah. around, jump yeah. around, jump around. And so uh, trying to, you know, I sound like Yoda a little bit here, like trying to, you need to unlearn what you've learned <laughs> from all these games you've played. And we tried really hard 
to do that without dialogue or text or uh, aggressive, uh, you know, tutorialization. Well, if you guys can get, you know, Frank Oz to do some sort of voiceover for this, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, that would be <laughs> amazing yeah. game of the year. So I guess, you know, obviously the, the high, low kind of combats, you know, some, some games have done stuff with, with high attacks, low attacks or left and right attacks, or they, I don't know, there, there've been variations on kind of not Absolutely. just mm-hmm. using X to attack or whatever. Um, but the, the current control scheme, actually, it almost kind of reminds me of the original Assassin's Creed. Uh, not that it is actually similar to that in any way, but just the idea behind it. It's kind of a, a marionette system. Um, mm-hmm. So how did, when you guys were first designing the combat, was was the main thing, like the, the high-low uh, for both blocking and attacking and just figuring out how to make that feel good? Or how did you guys kind of arrive on that almost you know puppeteer st- style control system i think a lot yeah. of it i think a lot of it came from one of our favorite games is punch out actually and so okay. if you look at punch out yeah. um you know when i was younger you know kind of on the nes but more recently on the wii uh you know actually if you take punch out and turn it on its side it's very similar to under the end in that you know you're you're reading the uh, you know like whether it's soda popinski or bald bull or whatever you're reading their attacks and you're either dodging or ducking or blocking and then once you block a number of those attacks, they have an opening. So they're either open low or they're open high. And then you are, you know, with little Mac countering high or low. Um, and of course, you know, because our character has a sword, uh, we didn't, and it's a cinematic platformer, which tends to be more grounded and deliberate and a little bit more realistic. You know, we didn't want you to be slashing the guy like 10 times because that didn't seem to kind of convey the right thing. So, you know, a, a single strike with a sword is quite damaging. And so most enemies die in two or three hits. But uh, that was kind of the inspiration mechanically. And then kinesthetically in terms of inputs, um, to us it just made, it was very natural to keep movement and blocking on the one stick. And we didn't want to make it so you, you know, held a button and then had to block kind of like, you know, Dark Souls or, um, you know, Dark Souls has you hold the block button and then you have a different one for parry. Uh, and we didn't want to do like a for honor where you have stances where you're kind of into high and into low. That, that felt... Those like the Forerunner felt a little bit too fence fencing like Nidhogg too, although I, I love both of those games. Yeah. And then Dark Souls uh, was more is more reliant on uh, rolling, and we wanted to make it more upfront and and kind of melee like, so that you know if you drop your sword, uh, you know it's it's one of these oh shit moments and you have to go get it back. Yes. Uh, if you if you try and stay away from enemies all the time, like they'll jump attack or they'll throw things at you or 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 whatever, and so. Kind of capturing that feeling that that punch out has not in terms of a simulation of what it would be like to be a boxer but that tension of like okay mm-hmm. i gotta wait and then act right if i if i guess i'm gonna get hit uh and if every I, move matters where yeah. you take your sword out if it's been sheathed yeah. and where you drop your torch matters yeah exactly you need that light yeah. in the dark caves yeah. and if you put it in the wrong space you'll probably be in the dark yeah, exactly yeah so all we tried to, to as much as possible capture that the sweaty palms the tension uh the success meant staying calm in the moment uh being you know able to read your opponent and the surroundings and so um that was kind of the inspiration altogether. Uh, and yeah you know for input x being low and being lower on the controller on the face buttons then y being high uh we wanted the face buttons to be the primary inputs because those are the things people practice first naturally when they play a game versus the bumpers and the, and the triggers which are yes common in dark souls but not as uh, obvious to some players so that was kind of how all that came to be 
Okay. Um, we, we've obviously mentioned Dark Souls quite a bit, and you guys being a independent studio, uh, I do want to just applaud you on the fact that you have not made either a roguelike or a Dark Souls like. Uh, so yeah. thank you, because I don't like either of those. I <laughs> we, uh, we 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 often talk about how to talk about that this is not a 2D Dark Souls right. because everyone assumes it's 2D Dark Souls. They either assume it's it's you know like it's like Inside or something, right? Uh, or it's a 2D Dark Souls because the guy happens to have a sword. Uh, and I have nothing against Dark Souls. Actually, it really is one of my favorite series of games. But um, it just didn't make any sense for us to make yet another you know, roguelike 2D Dark Souls. There's a lot yeah. of great ones out there, uh, but to, that, as creators, that just no, didn't make any sense. So we were, thank what you so it? much, That's Jonathan, for noticing yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, th thank you for making it, because honestly, I, I get really tired of seeing games that I would other by, otherwise be interested in, and then I start reading about it, and it's like, no, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't, <laughs> that is not fun to me. Um, so, but actually, as, as I was kind of like writing out questions, I was like, well, actually, there is kind of a, a Dark Souls influence here, but it's not the usual, you know, rest at bonfire, saving, respawns everybody sort of shtick. It's, I feel like it's, it's mostly in the, the difficulty, which I assume, like, as you guys were talking about with the, the final game, the, that curve is going to be much smoother instead of just dumping you into a, a combat area. Um, but it seems like it still wouldn't, isn't, you know, meant to be easy, uh, just with all the right. things that, you know, you've kind of talked about with, uh, dropping weapons and that, like, that's not a normal game mechanic. Right. Um, yeah. but then the, the other thing is that like, j there's just a, a really heavy weight put into animations. Like you were talking about with the, the attack, um, you know, it does a lot of damage, but like, you can't just spam attack. And if you do right. a roll, you know, in, in dark souls, as long as you have, um, stamina left like you can just keep rolling until that's over yep. and the father like he rolls once and then he's like wait a minute i i need a second okay you yeah. see this beard i'm i'm no sapling um <laughs> and uh like i don't know i just i i liked kind of taking some of those things but again not just doing the the usuals per se of um I guess of just what a lot of indie games are. So <laughs> we really, we really tried hard. Yeah, we, we really did. And it, you know, I don't, you know, it is harder than we thought. Maybe it's easier for others, but it's harder than we thought to go against convention. Sure. Uh, because you really feel like you're wandering around in the dark and any, even people that have your best in interests, you know, at heart, they kind of like subconsciously steer you back to something that is more established yeah. Uh, and so it's it's just hard to say no and right. to keep kind of on a path that is different. Especially when it is just two of us, because there definitely were points of, during this project that we were like, are we nuts? <laughs> like, maybe this is just terrible. <laughs> right. right. Uh, like, you really don't know until yeah. you can get it in front of some people. Yeah, sure. Um, and think, okay, maybe it's, this is definitely not going to be a game for everyone. Right. We, we make this to make everyone happy. Yeah. You know? We expect some people will bounce off it and that's, you know, that's never fun. You, you want everyone to love your game, but it's, right. it's okay. If that's the case, the hope being that those people that do like it, those players that do like it, you know, like it more, uh, because it is, it is, uh, you know, a little bit different. Um, I will say one thing we have done, I don't know if you discovered it or not when you're playing is that, uh, in the settings, we allow you to adjust the combat speed, uh, and it works to very it similar to Celeste's. Uh, if you played Celeste, their assist mode. Uh, now Celeste slows down the entire game, 
because you know uh, that makes sense for what they're doing. But for us, uh, we only slow down the game the during combat. combat. Uh, so it's still a challenge, but it gives you more time to read and react. Uh, and so we uh, ultimately don't want the game to be you know just about lightning fast reflexes, mm -hmm. uh, which is why we've also done ways to avoid fight com uh, you know encounters uh, without fighting at all. Uh, but in addition to that, when there are moments where you do have to fight, you can also adjust the combat speed. So, Gotcha. Yeah, I, I did change it from default to assist at some point. Um, and I left it there because I assumed it was helping me, but I, I couldn't actually get a good read on what all was changing. So what, what actually, sure. what is assist mode? How does, yeah, we, how does we, slow, we just basically slow down all of the, the, uh, the gameplay uh, so that, you know, wind-ups of all the enemies have more of a delay, their recovery has more delay. Your attacks also have uh, a longer time, so you can read whether they're hitting or not. Gotcha. Uh, and, and so the intent there is just to give uh, players a bit more time hmm. to take in all of the visual information uh, that's going on and, and more quickly learn uh, you know, how to overcome the different uh, opponents they're facing. Gotcha, okay, very cool. Um, so one, one of the things that I also noticed just at the, the start of, with uh, the bonfire is that you can do some different crafting. Um, there's like potions you can make and all that kind of stuff. How does, how does crafting work? How do resources work? What all can you kind of make in the game? What's, uh, sure. what's that all about? So we, we tried to make crafting. Uh, we're kind of very singularly minded on this, like in the sense of we wanted to tie everything back to the journey, the struggle, uh, of the father, right? And so, and we were a little bit inspired by the movie The Revenant. Yes, absolutely. In that, okay, let's you're a person. That. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> just like you're a person in the wilderness trying to survive. Right. If you make armor, you just make it out of bones and sticks. Or right. You're, you're not a blacksmith, right? You're not yeah. a tinker. You can't invent, like, you couldn't go and, you know, hammer out, like, a, a, a suit of armor kind of thing. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, you're gathering resources like sticks and bones, leather, um, and yes. then you're using those to do a couple different things. So using those to make armor uh, and repair armor if it gets damaged. If you drop a torch, you need to use those same resources to make a torch. Same with if, your dagger. If you throw your dagger away, you need to use this, you know, that again like there. Like if you throw it off a cliff. Right, yeah. <laughs> or, or if you like kill an enemy, like stab an enemy and then shoulder bash him off a cliff, like then your dagger's gone. Um, and so, uh, and then you have herbs, which you can make tonics with that, that heal you. But then all of those items, those four items, can be traded with different guys. Um, and so that you you can use them in the hopes of maybe getting something in return or maybe just making a gesture with them. But the point of all that was to have really a, a sense of uh, risk and reward or consequence for any of your actions. So there's scenes, uh, like there's one particular scene I won't really ruin, but you run in there and you can like steal an item from this creature. Okay. And often when you do that, you drop your torch. And then you get out, you can kind of get out at right. the last second. But now your torch is gone. So the, the, you just have effectively wasted the resources for your torch, which maybe neat means, well, now you're not going to have enough resources to repair your armor. And then you maybe come across a creature where you're like, okay, he needs my help. I could give him some herbs. But now I'm I not going to have those yeah. for a tonic. And so what, to us, those are kind of like, not to be too over the top, but like pure role-playing moments where you are really deciding what role you want to play and, and what is important to you. And, and uh, to us, that was what survival was all about. You know, right. like... And even just on an adventure in the exactly. wilderness, you yeah. don't know what you're going to need. Right. You hope that you'll find something yeah. else. Yeah. 
Um, you hope that you make the right decisions, like right. by befriending people or not. And, and you never know. We yeah. never tell you, like, that was the right decision. Exactly. There is no true right decision. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you're going to play it differently than right. someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially. So. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, uh, you so you can kind of upgrade your armor. You can kind of repair armor if it gets damaged. Uh, like, so obviously when, when your health is low, the father bleeds more and more until like his, his whole beard is just like covered in blood and stuff. Yep. And he does that. He does like this little drop animation of like, Oh God, yes. like I'm, I'm going to die if you don't do something game player person, um, <laughs> which I appreciated. But like what, so what are kind of your like visual indications for your armor? And does that also have, um, I guess deteriorating stuff, does that have an effect on your weapon? Do torches eventually go out or, you know, I guess, how, how does that stuff work? That's a really good question. So yeah. we, we thought a lot about that, about those aspects. The armor, um, basically there's two tiers of armor and then there are some special items that you can find through exploration that are also uh, armor-like. Um, but your armor does degrade. So every time you take a hit, your armor absorbs some of that damage and then it takes damage. And so the armor does actually have a visual state of being on the verge of, of breaking. And then falling And off. then it actually does fall off, like wow. little bits of bone kind of fall off you. Um, and then you can go and repair, you know, that at, at a rest fire. In terms of your sword degrading, no. And your torch burning out, no. And the reason we didn't want either of those is that we didn't ever want you to have to grind in the game. We didn't ever want a point where we're like, oh, man, I don't have any torches left. Like, I have to go grind these, you know, these sticks and kill a bunch of guys just to get a torch. Um, and although for some players grinding is a lot of fun, it's not something that we really enjoy in games and we wanted to make it more focused around the decisions you make and the consequences of those decisions going ever forward to home, uh, rather than about kind of backtracking and having to collect all this stuff. And, and getting in that mode of just being careful yes. because you can Very good point. have that one torch from the beginning of the game for yeah. the whole time. There's yeah. no reason that you actually should lose it. Right. right? Yeah. If you're paying attention and being careful. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was the intent. Yeah. The same reason for having one dagger that, you know, that action matters. You throw it, you get it back, right? That kind of deliberateness to the action. Right. You pull it out of a body yeah. or you go find it on the ground. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't just magically right. reappear right. on you. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really neat. I was, I was wondering if you could like upgrade your, you know, utility belt or something to have multiple daggers or, or anything right. like that. Yeah. Any, any other yep. kind of upgrades like that besides the, the armor? You can pick up spears. Okay. And use those. Uh, they have a, a set of, of rules associated with them in terms of how they break and, and how durable they are and, and stuff like that. But they're definitely the highest power weapon in the game. Uh, and as a result, we, we, we think we've balanced them well uh, relative to how you use them. But they're, they're worth kind of picking up and, and using tactically. Uh, and then there are, um, there are items you can get uh, like there is an item I can say that you can get so that you don't drop your sword. Yes. You have to find that in a little hidden area. Yeah, yeah. there's an item that, that allows you to, to keep your sword. You know, like uh, you may have found on that one uh, creature, that the, the, the woad that throws spears, he also does a jump attack. And if you try and block that, he'll knock your, your sword out of your hands. Yeah. So there, had that item. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's an item that, that uh, yeah, exactly, that keeps that. And then there's items that protect you. There's items that... Um, there's actually an item that heals you. Uh, there's an item that uh, stops bleeding. I don't know if you noticed that if you eat too many herbs, you'll actually puke uh, <laughs> because you kind of raise the toxicity level. There's an item that gets rid of the toxicity. Uh, so, um, yeah, we, we try to put all these things, and those are all tied to exploration, which is a big part of 
uh, that's just one of the things we think is really cool about games, finding kind of those hidden areas and, gotcha. and hidden right. uses for items. And you can so, get through the game without finding any of those Absolutely, yeah, bits. absolutely. It's just yeah. going to be harder. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how does, how does exploration then work? Because from what I played, it, it felt very kind of straightforward and linear. There was one area that it, it seemed like I could go into this underground, like, hut, but there was this guy with a spear, and <laughs> I was just like, nope, no, there's a ladder this way. I'm, I'm just going to leave you alone. Uh, so obviously it seemed like there may have been something in there that I could have gotten. But for the most part, everything else just kind of seemed to be funneling you, you know, yes. forward. How, how does exploration work? The demo was very straightforward. Yeah. I mean, and also, you know, the full game is not there. There, We kind of, um, you know, to, to geek out on game design, if you look at like, the topology of Dark Souls, uh, you know, they kind of like branches in and then branches out and branches in and branches out. And they has these kind of conversion points. And so... Generally, we follow a similar uh, approach to that. However, it's not an open world game. No, you know, it is. It is definitely we, like we hand drew the entire game. Yeah. You actually <laughs> see our unity. No, it's, it's just it's like a one huge long canvas. Yeah, yeah, so. all hand drawn. So uh, it is. Yeah, we we had to be you know tactical <laughs> with how we allowed exploration. But sure. there are definitely areas that are are more maze like, and okay. there are more optional paths in them. And then there are sections that are more uh, straight. Uh, you know, a, a direct route. Um, but yeah, in, in general, we wanted to make the hidden areas, um, kind of little side kind of tangents that you could discover that had interesting pieces of lore in them or an interesting item for you and stuff like that. So that was kind of our approach to exploration. Um, and hoping that if a player finds one, then you realize you kind of want to go right and look know, for other ones. Test everything yeah. because there's no obvious cue in some cases. We sometimes try to make it, we try to have little things. Are, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's really up to you and your observation to decide. I wonder if something's over there. Should I make the effort to see if I can get in there? Right. So I wouldn't. I would say it's not as linear, say inside, of which there are some, you know, like side little rooms you can find. Right. Uh, but it's it's not as open as like a Dark Souls, where the you know like you're. No, it's not a hub not. and spoke model where you just kind of wander around. So yeah. Gotcha. Okay. One of the things that I noticed on the Steam page was that. Uh, you, you have basically all of your abilities from the outset. So obviously it's not like a, a Metroidvania where you get jump boots or whatever, which that would right. be really weird if this guy had boots. <laughs> um, but if, if you're starting with all of your abilities, and I mean, that's, that's a very, I guess, quote-unquote old-school thing. Like, progression trees weren't in all games until, you know, very recently, pretty much. Yep. Um, yep. But I guess besides just getting better at the game, like how how do you get better at the game? I mean, there's a Dark Souls <laughs> quote which is like, "You are the experience points, right?" Ah, okay. Uh, I think that's that's true for Under the End. I I would say this the closest analog is uh, Punch Out, where Little Mac has all of his moves from the beginning, right. but it's the opponents that Little Mac is put up against that actually continue to demand more of those skill set the skill set either in timing or in uh breadth of you know using certain things so um the same is true uh for under the end so uh you know getting good at reading high low is important getting good at reposting is important getting good at ducking becomes more important getting good at you know managing space by using you know your reverse slashes and your shoulder bash or your dagger becomes more important um Knowing when to roll, you know. Right. Knowing if you can use friendly fire to your advantage. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So all of those things are, are kind of that 
Yeah, like the learning curve is, is uh, you know, it's kind of like, okay, get over the initial concepts and then it's about kind of changing the novelty of things and, and using right. more and more and of your toolkit. Almost looking at each encounter as a puzzle in and of itself. In a way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some things that seem so difficult, right. you just pick up that spear. Yeah, it's it makes it a lot easier, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very nice, okay. So, uh, so back of the box quote from Dark Station, you guys can say that this is, you know, another world meets limbo meets punch out. Um, Love it. Yeah. <laughs> People will be like, huh? It's like, wait, what? Yeah. Is that a game? Is that, yeah. I don't understand. Um, all right. Well, so, so one thing that I kind of noticed, I just wanted to, to bring up here. Um, I, I obviously, and I'm sure a bunch of other people will appreciate the fact that there are a bunch of, uh, languages that the game is translated to, and I assume that's a lot easier. It doesn't seem like there's any actual spoken dialogue uh, in the that's game. Correct. I mean, there's like some humming and and stuff like that, but yeah. uh, and there's grunting from the the woads and whatnot. Yes. Um, so obviously that makes translations easier. But I noticed that there was English for Canada, for U.S. and U.K. And yes. knowing that you guys have have globetrotted makes that make more sense but yeah. i just i thought it was hilarious that you change uh specifically what the the shoulder check the which yes. i left it it was i think by default it was in uh you or english uh can i was about canadia. to say canadia that's not a place um <laughs> u.s uh canada or u.s english good lord um i can't i can't talk um but so english canada and uh, I just left it there because I didn't really think about checking for other English variations. But at some point, I was just going through the options. And you've got the shoulder check versus the shoulder bash. And you've got a knapsack versus a rucksack versus a backpack. <laughs> and I was just like, that's kind of hilarious. That's... Yeah. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> yeah, some of those things like we do just for ourselves, yeah. it seems. Yeah. But that's great. We also translated it. And I, I don't expect you to recognize this one because it's uh, not a language that's very... Uh, broadly spoken, but we also translated into Scots Gaelic, um, and I, I, my actually my family comes from Scotland, and so uh, the, the the idea behind the the main character is he's actually like a Scottish Highlander, although we're we're not at all historically accurate in that. Right. But we thought it would be neat to translate it into Gaelic. Wait, uh, Scotland wasn't invaded by Wodes hundreds of years ago. That's yeah, exactly. not. I thought okay, I read the wrong uh, history. We thought book. we need to translate it into Scots. Scott's Gaelic. Um, that is really cool. Um, <laughs> I, I did not recognize that, no. Because uh, pretty much once everything went out of English, I was like, So the game is coming out relatively soon. Um, you guys mentioned beforehand, I don't know if I can say it now, I'll delete it if I can't, but hopefully by the end of 2020. Um, yes. So. Say that. That is 100% the plan. Yes. Yes. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> um, so end of this year, it, it's coming out relatively soon because we're fast approaching the it's end for, of this year. Yes. Um, both thank God and oh no, because you know yeah. at the end of 2019, everybody was like, it can't get worse from here. So right. Right. <laughs> oh God. Either 2021 is either going to be fantastic or the you know other worst year of all time. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah. uh, can you talk about? Uh, any other potential platforms? I know that at some point uh, there's like a there's a PlayStation 4 trailer for it. Uh, Next Gen is coming out, and for this kind of game, I don't know if I don't think Next Gen 
makes a whole lot of difference. Um, but I mean, I guess, you know, maybe at 120 hertz and at like 17K, uh, it, it could, you know, run really smooth and look really fantastic. But uh, any, yeah. any plans for any of that kind of stuff? Uh, well, we're, we the definitely plans on all the different platforms. So Switch, uh, PlayStation, uh, we recently announced for Stadia, Xbox and Xbox Game Pass. Um, you know, we partnered with Xbox a long time ago on this, so that's been really great. Uh, Steam uh, and then GOG. Uh, and then it'll be on the uh, Microsoft Windows uh, store as well. Okay. Um, so all those different platforms. And then next gen, uh, that is absolutely the plan too in terms of PS5 and uh, Xbox uh, Series X. So... All the, uh, all, all the things. Literally yeah. all the things. <laughs> yes. Uh, and with, uh, if, if it's one of the uh, Game Pass games that can be played on Android, then people can literally play it on the refrigerator. Uh, yes, exactly. As, <laughs> as seen by Doom Eternal at some point recently. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so how does, uh, being a kind of, you know, a minimalist kind of art style, being 2D, being very hand-drawn, like it doesn't seem like this would be super taxing in terms of technology. Um, how does does the next generation or anything like that actually really change anything for you guys besides just having another platform to have to make it for? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is the platform and, and exposure. But you know, um, having having a solid state drive is great, and and not having you know we we stream our entire game in in the sense of uh, there's no loading screens ever. I mean, when you transition into training, we, we kind of fade to black and you wake up and you're in this training memory, but it's actually just, that's, that's all just superficial. The whole game is always there and we're loading and lo unloading things uh, for the player dynamically, just like Inside does or Limbo. Right. Uh, and so, you know, the, the next gen stuff being higher horsepower and, and, you know, being able to read off a solid disc, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make the game run smoother uh, and things like that. But, uh, you know, we didn't, you know, we don't, we don't take advantage of ray tracing or we didn't go and like rewrite like, our grass shaders. Like, you know, we don't do any of that kind of stuff. So. Oh, no, the grass. <laughs> yeah. You should, you should figure out how to put like just one piece of like shiny metal in there and be like, right, the game right, supports that's... ray tracing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, maybe the next one. Maybe the yeah. next one. <laughs> uh, unto the end two, ending yes. further away, ending yes. hover. Ending with a vengeance. There we go. All right. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I, I think that does it for my questions about the game. Now it comes down to um, the, the end game, which is one of my favorite parts of the show, which, you know, it's, it's my show, so it's kind of all nice. my favorite. But anyway, anyway, uh, that's that joke's going to get really old really soon because I think I've used it like the past five episodes. But anyway, uh, so the first question is relatively simple. Both of you have to answer. Um, and it's, who? What video game character would you like to go drinking with? Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay. And it I, can't I, be I, your I, character. It can't be the father or anybody else from your game. No, no, sorry. No. Has to be somebody so I'm else. Gonna, I'm going to go with an old Sega character from an old Master System game called Zillion. And in Zillion, you played as a character named JJ, and then you could find <laughs> Apple and Champ. And uh, I always thought Champ sounded like a cool guy he had like really cool weapons and stuff and he was the hardest guy to find so i'm gonna go drinking with a, a guy named champ who's from the year i think like 20 uh 2020 something like 2248 or something so he's way more advanced than me and he could kind of tell me all sorts of like cool stuff about what what the future will hold <laughs> oh wow <laughs> all right i think i have to 
to pick someone from Punch Out, like Soda Popinski. Right? <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah he, well, he, in the Wii version, he like drinks like nuclear uh, <laughs> soda or something. So you know that would be definitely yeah. very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like I like Soda Popinski. He's he's yeah, he's great. <laughs> I was I was terrible at those games as a kid. I would literally I would get past Glass Joe. And then go find one of my brothers and be like, okay, you're playing this from now on. And I'm just watching because yeah. I, yeah. I can't. I can't even. Um, okay, next question. If you could replay a video game again for the very first time, you don't have to worry about it aging poorly. Uh, you just get that brand new, like, fresh game experience again. What game would you like to, to replay? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, hmm. I think I'm gonna go with I think I'm gonna go with uh, Zelda: Link to the Past. Uh, I really love that game. I loved all the little puzzles and kind of how it starts. I love how like the, the father. Huge spoiler if no one has played this game. Hopefully everyone has. You know, they, he tells you to stay at home, and then you know you're actually supposed to leave, and it's it's up to you as a player to kind of cross that threshold. Is right. All of that is. I, I just think that's kind of brilliant game design. I'd, I'd love to re-experience that, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. One of my favorite games I played as a kid on a Mac computer. Black and white, this game Black is. and white. <laughs> and it was a sequel. Sarah's actually no 75 one... years old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't, it came out in the late 80s, and I think I played it in the 90s. But it was. Um, it's called Beyond Dark Castle. I don't know if anyone's Which is a sequel, right? A sequel to, yeah. to Dark Castle. Yeah. And I loved that game yeah. so much. I wish there is, there are some um, wrongs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah online, <laughs> which are so grim. Like someone else has played it. <laughs> um, Beyond Dark Castle. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Apparently, they made a a sequel, Return to Dark Castle. Yes. In like yeah, I didn't play that. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. I've I've never heard of that. I've I was not uh, I was not much into to Max or anything. I we had a. We had a, a Windows ninety five computer, um, which is what. Let's see, no wait, we had a, we had a DOS computer before that, and I played right. Wheel of Fortune there, and we had a <laughs> Nintendo. Um, and then I, I really didn't play any other games until I got an Xbox in the early two thousands. So <laughs> a lot of the uh, anything from the the nineties I, I missed out on, and then we just we had a what the Nintendo and the Atari from the eighties. Uh, right, right. That's, yeah. Got to play some of those, but. Uh, yeah, it's I'm always I'm always like weirdly envious of people that that grew up on like weird stuff like the com or not necessarily weird it's not actually weird but it's just not the the typical oh I'm a Sega kid or I'm a Nintendo kid or whatever but having right. your like roots in like the Commodore sixty four the Amiga yeah. or yeah. the Apple two or whatever like that's just I don't know it's just a whole different like breed of video games. Um, oh, 100%. Absolutely. It was an interesting time not to reminisce too much, but like the the lack of well, there was less variety. You didn't really have like people telling you what was good or bad as much. If you got stuck, you got stuck. Oh no! One you know, right like it was it was a totally different time. Like I remember my brother and I growing up playing through so many bad games right. because you get to all, you there was no other game to play. Like you know, like I don't know if you ever heard of a Sega game called Alien Syndrome, but it was like impossible to play. And uh, you you know you just keep pl you play it for like three months because like you have nothing else to play. You know? Yeah, I had. Uh... <laughs> One one of the the few games that was mine is I had the uh, the Nintendo or the NES game the Superman game for the NES. Oh yeah. Uh, and that game that game is awful. That game is so <laughs> bad. 
but I played it all the time because I love Superman and right. it was a video game and we had yeah. it. So that meant you yeah. played it. <laughs> like, yeah. One uh, of my, one of our favorite games was Aladdin yeah. on Sega. Genesis. I guess yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we love that game so yeah. much. Laura still plays that. What, what of the, was it Aladdin or I know one of the Disney games was like completely different between the SNES and I guess the, the Genesis um, was, that, was it that one? I don't know. I don't know, actually, yeah. I know <laughs> Aladdin's been surfacing recently because there's a lot of great, you know, hand-keyed animation from that that yeah. circulates out on Twitter and, you know, they break it down and stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> Sorry, um, the total segue. Sorry. Yeah. That's a, hey, this podcast is built on segues. It's okay. Nice, nice. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you kind of mentioned, or I guess I sort of brought up kind of missing out on a particular whole, like, family of games with uh, the Apple II and amiga and everything uh but is there a particular franchise or a genre that you feel like you have a blind spot for and that either you want to go back and play or that you you know you just feel like you should have played um you know. i will say like a lot of first person shooters uh i i was in university then i played like a lot of GoldenEye on n64 yeah and i was at microsoft when halo was like super popular but other than that I didn't play a ton of first-person shooters, and so um, yeah, yeah I, I don't like it's two twofold. One, I, I just kind of was doing different things at that time, and kind of wasn't into gaming as much. And then two, modern first-person shooters make me motion sick. Like mm -hmm. uh, I can't play like the new Doom. Like I can play it for about five minutes, and then I feel like I've you know been on a roller coaster like for a while. It's like really weird. Uh, so you know, those are games that. Um, I know are good. I know a lot of my friends enjoy. I wish I could enjoy them, but um, you know, I, I I haven't, and I seemingly may never be able to because I get motion sick. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably the same actually in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And I really don't pr play as many right, games, right. even in general. Right. So you could put a lot of things on my list. <laughs> <laughs> actually, now once we're, now that we're finished this game, yes, right. it's like I can play more games. Yes, yes. <laughs> in general. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I um, I I haven't been a, I haven't played the the either of the new Dooms. I played a little bit of 2016's version, and there's something about it. it I, I've never gotten motion sickness from a game, but there's something like just unrelenting about that game's pace that yes. you're just going from like encounter to encounter. That I I can only play it for like 30 minutes at a time, and I think I've right. I haven't even made it halfway through the game, and I I usually delete it, and then somebody else will talk about it, and I'll go back and re-download it. It's like okay, I can play this. And, and like, I just get exhausted from that game. Like, it's just, it's just so tiring. <laughs> it's definitely cranked up to 11, no doubt. Absolutely, yeah. And it's, uh, I don't know yeah. if you played an indie game called uh, The Butcher. Uh, the Butcher, no. It's, it's all done in, like, kind of 8-bit graphics. I think it's done, I could be misremembering, but I think it was done by the same uh, team that did Carrion. Okay. Um, but, you know, like a, a simpler version of that. I'd have to go look. But that has a similar pace to Doom, but it is side scroller, like super low fidelity graphics. It, okay. You know, it, it, just to try out is interesting to see the contrast of those two mm. things. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, that's. Um, I, I know that I've, I've seen the. Just bringing it up now, I know that I've seen it before, but I, I've not played that. Right. Um, it's uh, something for me. I like 2D melee games work well. Just 2D shooting games, I often have a problem with. I don't know why it is, but like. Mm -hmm choosing where to shoot on there 
Uh, usually, if anything, has, like, an actual reticle, and so you have, what, 180 degrees of, like, shooting. Um, yeah. It just yeah. it does not mesh with my brain. It's definitely harder, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. But, uh, okay. So, so moving on from, from the blind spot, uh, what is a good trend in video games right now that you would like to see more of? And this can be anything. This can be game mechanics. This can be studio practices. This can be whatever the case may be. I don't know. Shorter games. Uh, games with microtransactions. Nobody likes that. Never mind. No. no. <laughs> I mean, I think in general, I, I'm very excited uh, by the continued, uh, you know, energy behind indie games. Yeah. And uh, I, you know, I think it's always hard to, to uh, separate the business side of games. But you know, games are are very much. Um, about you know how well does the game sell? How popular is it? I, I think more so than other art forms, like you know, for example, film and things and literature. I think you can uh, there's the more broad acceptance of those as art forms for in anyone itself. in and of yeah. itself. Whereas games are still kind of seen as like entertainment for kids in some ways, which I, I don't like. But I, I am very encouraged by you know more and more games uh, you know coming out and having a perspective and being distinct, like. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you played the side scroller, uh, heavily animated, very beautiful Gree or Grease, depending on how you I pronounce it. I have it. I've not uh, played it yet. I'll you know, so that, that you know, that, that's one. I, I, I know a lot of people bounced off this, but uh, Below, I thought was a really great expression of what it feels like to be alone going through a dungeon. Mm. Uh, it was very hard and very demanding, and so it turned a lot of people off. But I think from an experiential perspective, it did a lot of great work. I think Rain World. Uh, was really interesting in, in a similar way, but but different. So I'm I'm always very excited when that kind of stuff happens, and uh, you know I I hope more of that kind of kind of stuff happens. Yeah, if it's a trend, it ho- ho- hopefully it becomes yeah. a, more of a trend. Yeah. but yeah. you don't know. Yeah. yeah ran- randomly, I I think I picked up Rain World in like a humble bundle at some point, and I could mm-hmm. not figure out how to get like out of the opening like screen area. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was it's like this. This looks cool. I just don't understand what this game wants me to do literally at all. Yeah, uh, it, it definitely does not hold your hand. Like, under the end kind of prides itself on not hand-holding, but Rain World takes it, like, to another level. Uh, I will say, if you can if you can get over that initial phase, uh, which I struggled with as well, it does an exceptional job of uh, casting you in the context of an ecosystem where you can be predator to some simple prey, but are very much prey to other predators. Yeah. And uh, I think it does an excellent job of capturing that. It's it's all uh, procedurally generated and the, the enemies have quite good AI. And, uh, you know, there are some insanely tense moments uh, that you, I've rarely experienced in, in a video game uh, outside of, uh, of that. So it's definitely worth a go, even if you don't finish it, even if you just kind of get like an hour or so taste of that, I think it's yeah. worth it. Okay, very cool. Uh, Sarah, did you have a, a particular trend that you wanted? Oh, oh God, I would say, are shorter games a trend? I would like them to be. Yeah, sure. Let's say that. <laughs> we we can I make them a trend now. Yeah, yeah let's start it. <laughs> but being able to sit down in an afternoon or a weekend, right. and yeah. be able to get through something, is really more what uh, I like to do, rather than spending <laughs> two hundred hours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they, you have heard some people, like some studio heads, I can't remember where, what, was he Ubisoft guy or something, saying, you know, the, the future is going to be like eight to 12 hour games uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, we can't sustain these huge endeavors anymore. And I don't know where the truth lies, to be honest. I think it, right. yeah, it's, it's a tough one. 
but yeah, shorter. Yeah. A little bit shorter. More focused. Yeah. Yeah. That would be like cool. a three-hour God of War. You take the full, <laughs> you know, a 400-person engineering team of God of War, and you condense that into like a three-hour experience. Right. There's actually an interesting book by uh, Raf Koster called Theory of Fun, and his whole philosophy is around this idea of like you present patterns to the player. And then they learn those patterns and they move to the next pattern. And once all those patterns are done, the game has to be done. Otherwise, it just becomes like repetitive. Uh, and so, yeah, it happens. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, flipping the, um, the coin on its head, the, the question on its head, what is a, a bad trend or a trope in video games that you wish would be either lessened or just go away completely? I, I mean, I think we touched on it a little bit. The, the, not microtransactions themselves, I, but I think that um and this is by bi i'm biased right because i i, I want to make games for the art more than anything but i i think games that are solely designed to make a profit and then they put a veneer of a game on top of that and i think it's it's kind of uh, more prevalent in the mobile space than it is in kind of the pc or console space but that that is something that you know i would like to see less and less of um as well as the pressure to make a game at or degrade a game as successful because it sells a lot. You know, I, I don't think other, the highest forms of other art suffer from that. You know, you want to have some degree of success. You want to be able to find a niche. But, you know, like jazz music, for example, is not bad music because it doesn't sell as well as like, I'm going to date myself here, Britney Spears, right? <laughs> you know, so like Britney Spears is a good music wow, also because, uh, you know, her, her records oh. sell a lot, right? So right. Uh, there are definitely exceptions to that rule. Like I would argue the Beatles are good musicians and popular. Right. Um, and so it's, they're, they're not mutually exclusive, but I think I'd love to continue to see the uh, games move more towards a art form of perspective and, um, you know, challenging players uh, rather than something that is, is seen uh, as making money and, and being successful because it makes money or doesn't make money. Mm -hmm. And being more seen for the design of the game, right, not right. just, you know, taking the exact same thing right. and literally just copying. Yeah, kind of what you were saying, Jonathan, right? Like about, you know, another yet another 2D Dark Souls, right? Right. Or like, you know, I see copies of game. Like, the, what is that? Is it the <laughs> same thing again? What, right. But, but with one thing changed? Right, right. Like, that's not design. That right. You just... You just copied it and made it again. Right, right. You can only see so many of those. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, th I think we do see more of that in kind of the, the mobile space where, uh, you know, yeah. you just have like, a you know, some other company that literally just copy and paste a, yeah. a, a game uh, and sells it for, you know, free, at, but then has a gajillion different ways to uh, pay for stuff in, inside. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, uh, and I... It's you know not as prevalent in the um, console computer space, but it's also like when it is there, it's kind of even worse because it's usually in games that you have to pay for anyway, and then there's other ways to continue right. to pay for the. It's all right. it's all icky. I don't yeah. Like yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So you guys have both done um some interesting stuff before working in video games and, and now you're doing this venture, which I, I wish you the best on. Uh, but uh, if you could do literally anything else in the whole world, what would you want to give a shot? I would like to be a uh, basketball coach <laughs> slash teacher. I've always wanted to do both actually. And I actually thought about doing it 
quite seriously. But I, I love teaching um, and I love coaching. And I, I grew up playing a lot of sports and I did coach a little bit when I was younger. Uh, I've TA'd in university. I've never actually been a teacher, but I always thought that would be a lot of fun. And I have a ton of respect for teachers. I think they, you know, for they should sure. be paid, paid like 10 times what they get paid. And, oh, yeah. and uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, I think you gave mine away because I would be a cottographer. Nice, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. Just pay me I to fly it. around on little planted map places. I would... love it. it. It has to be like the um, the Indiana Jones style like seaplane where you take yeah, off exactly. the water yeah. though. Yeah. Like you, yeah. yeah, you can't have like a, a jet or anything. It's it's gotta be, it's gotta be one of those. Yeah. We'll get that you a fedora be... too. It'll be great. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right, and the uh, the final question. Um, so your drinking buddies are Champ and Soda Popinski. You get to ask them one question, uh, and they respond. What burning question do you have for Champ and Soda, and oh. how do they respond? Okay, for Champ, I have a I have a question I have no which is similar to the question that uh, Jody Foster asks in Contact, which is, you know, how does humanity get over their technological <laughs> Adolescence. Can I ask Soda Popinski that too? <laughs> we will compare answers. Soda, what do we do after the election? What, is the what does it all mean? Who am I? <laughs> what is the real question to get an answer of 42? Yes. <laughs> Obviously, 41 plus 1. Uh, yeah. Exactly. The easiest way. Oh, man. Uh, yes. That's good. Yeah. All right. Well, well, that does it. Congratulations, okay, guys. You, you have made it to the end of the end game as well as the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for, for sitting down with me and chatting about Unto the End and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, if you could send us out by letting people know when and where they will be able to get their hands on the game. Uh, we can't say exactly when, but uh, later this year, the uh, plan is to ship it in 2020, and then it'll be available on all the consoles as well as uh, Steam uh, and GOG and, and available on uh, Stadia as well and then on Xbox Game Pass. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Well, Steven, Sarah, again, thank you so much for, for chatting with me about the game. I wish you guys the best of luck as you finish up development on the game and as you start to work on what whatever your next project will be, whether it's game or world traveling you know cartographing and uh, you know basketball coaching uh we we will have to just wait and see but uh thank you guys and until next time have a good one thanks so much jonathan take care